Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're going to be talking about the first Baptist missionary, George Lyle. Mark, you just got back from Texas. Yes, I did. How was it? It was hot, but there was also good brisket. So I was going to ask you about the brisket. Is it as good as you remembered? Or have you been there? Don't, you've been there yeah, before, so right? I went down there about three years ago before Becky and I were married. So I went down by myself. And then this time me and Becky went down to visit, went back to the same barbecue places and they were just as good as I remembered. You went to Austin, right? Yeah. Is it regional in Texas? Because Texas is big enough to be its own country. Sure. Yeah. So that's my understanding. I've only been to the Austin area. So Austin has its unique brand of barbecue. That's, that's like, once again, that's my understanding. Um, If it's- Well, you're an amateur barbecue yourself. uh, Very amateur. As, As am I. Yeah. I like to do it. The results are better than what we have around here in Maryland. Yeah, that's what we were talking about when we were down there, um, that we had to go home and like Mission Barbecue is probably the best, which is... In case Mission Barbecue is listening, we would love for you to host our podcast and we will promote you as the best barbecue in Maryland. Accurate. Accurate. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in Maryland, if you want good barbecue, you might as well do it yourself. Pretty much, yeah. It's yeah. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't. I have a, like, it's be nice to have a huge offset smoker, but I have a small kettle grill and I can make it work. Yeah, I got the cheapest one I sold at Walmart. That works pretty well. Yeah, it just takes time investment. It takes, yeah, it takes, for mine, because it's not really great, you have to sit out there for about eight hours. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what my, my hack together kettle smoker is. Uh, Speaking of barbecue, actually, there's no no connection between that and this, what we're going to talk about. Who was the first Baptist missionary? Have you looked it up? Type uh, it into Google. Right, this is see. an interesting, uh, what do you call it when you check check people's perception of history? Litmus test? Yeah, good li- litmus test. Wikipedia, I found, is generally reliable. But when you type in first American missionary, it comes up with... Oh, you, you changed on me because you said first Baptist missionary and then you said... You can't put first Baptist missionary because it just takes you to churches. Oh, yeah. I see that. Yeah. It's it just the first Baptist missionary of, you know, Texas or whatever. So you have, you have to do first American missionary. All right, so first American missionary, uh, Judson. Yep, Adoniram Judson. So if you were to look up on the Google, first American missionary, it would say Adoniram Judson, which is false. And, of course, Google is not fact-checked by anybody. So we're going to talk about the, the actual first, not just Baptist missionary, but the first American missionary, which happens to be a Baptist. So it's actually both combined. Which is another great reason to be a Baptist. So, do you know who Judson is? Um, I'm generally familiar with the name, um, mostly from sermon illustrations. Yeah. So, when you ask the first Baptist missionary in the world, most people would say William Carey, who uh, lived in England with – people remember because he said, expect – no, attempt great – no, I say, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he was the one who went to India. But back up. Middle Ages, right? Catholic Church controls most things. Mm-hmm. Reformation, sort of the Bible becomes supreme again. Same time, the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is individual reason is sufficient and is the priority for finding truth. Okay, so when you put the Enlightenment together with the Reformation, you have individuals seeking truth in the Bible in its best sense. And from that comes a great awakening. 
So the Great Awakening is about 1700s, 1730s, George Whitfield, John Wesley. And what they did was they said, you as an individual need to be born again. You need to have an experiential contact with God and what you believe in the name of Jesus Christ and are converted. And that was different from before because at that time you just went to church. And that's what made you a Christian. You were baptized into the Church of England or the Episcopal Church or the Methodist Church and became a Christian. Whitfield said, and John Wesley and all the other people in the Enlightenment, Jonathan Edwards, said, you must have a personal experience. And as a result, the entire landscape of America was changed. So this is 1730s, 1740s, and England. Radical transformation that affected all sorts of political, social, economic, just Everything was affected. George Whitfield was the most famous person of his time. So an evangelistic preacher was the most, he, he was, he would be the biggest celebrity of his time, even for non-Christians. Benjamin Franklin used to go here. Okay. So America changes and England changes in the 1730s, 1740s, which led to this revival of people going out and trying to convert people to Christianity. And as it's picked up speed, you have what's called the modern missions movement. Where, so when we think of missions, they're just sort of part of our life. Everyone knows missions. But within Protestant circles, you know, Baptists, Methodists, there wasn't a big missions movement. After Enlightenment, it picks up. So who started it? Well, the name that gets associated with it is William Carey. So he was born 1761, so about 20 years after the end of the Great Awakening. Lives in England. Young, energetic. If you know who David Platt is, he reminds (laughs) me of David Platt. Uh, and he gets burdened to take the gospel, Christianity, to uh, other countries that didn't have it. People around him were like, no, it's not your job to do that. And he sort of resists that temptation or resists that pressure. And in 1792, he organizes the first modern missions organization. So before 1792, there was no missions organization to help you. Andrew Fuller was the guy who stayed behind and raised money for him and, and gave a theological basis. So these guys are Baptists. 1793, Carey sails the, to India. Had a really terrible time of it. His son died. His wife had to be locked up in a room with restraints. Seven years later, he has a, a convert. Okay, so that's 1793. So he's considered the father, and like his official title is, the father of modern missions. And everyone said he was the first missionary. And he was a Baptist, so the first Baptist missionary. Then the first American Baptist missionary, according to Google and Wikipedia and common knowledge, was Adoniram Judson, who was born about 20 years later, 20 years after uh, William Carey. He's American. He's congregational. So congregational congregationalism is kind of like Baptist, except they baptize babies. So they're... Business meetings would look the same, but they would baptize babies. So 1812, so I think War of 1812, Judson says, I want to go be a missionary. So this Congregationalist denomination puts together a missions organization, kind of going off of Carey's work, and sends him. This is a great story. He's a Congregationalist. He gets on the boat with his new wife halfway to India, which takes weeks, I don't know, months. (laughs) He starts reading the Bible. And some other stuff. And halfway he converts to a Baptist. <laughs> so he's on his way to be a congregational missionary to India, to Burma. And he converts to a Baptist halfway there. And two weeks later his wife follows. So he lands in India as a Baptist. 
having left as a Congregationalist. And so he finds one of Carrie's colleagues, Carrie's been there about 20 years, and gets baptized by immersion. So he becomes, so he, so he didn't leave as a Baptist missionary. So he's not the first Baptist missionary for sure to leave because he was Congregational. But when he gets there, he's a Baptist missionary. Baptized by immersion, resigns the Congregational mission. Now he's in India going to Burma with no support. So one of the colleagues that's with him, who had gone, had also converted to Baptist, was named Luther Rice, which people may recognize Luther Rice Seminary, which is a pretty prominent seminary, named after him. He goes back to America, gets back on the boat to start a Baptist missions organization in America, which he does. And it's very effective and very, uh, raises a ton of money. So mission society, and that's what supports American missionary, Baptist American missionaries. Okay, so that's 1812. So he's considered by many, or popular opinion, including Google searches, to be the first Baptist missionary from America, 1812. But that's false. Both of those are false. Carey was not the first Baptist missionary, and Judson was not the first Bab- uh, American Baptist missionary. The first American Baptist missionary, and first American missionary at all, was George Lyle. And he has been forgotten by history for multiple reasons, some of which will become apparent. But he was a Baptist, was born in, in 1752. So think about it. William Carey's born in 1761. Judson's born in 1788. George Lyle's born in 1752. So all these guys are born about the same time. So there's, a, there's, a, there's like a spirit of missions arising around the world. So George Lyle was born a slave. And he was enslaved by a deacon in a Baptist church. So here's where it gets awkward with Baptist history. There's basically two kinds of Baptist history. Two traditions. Uh, there's the tradition of slave-owning Baptist and enslaved Baptist, and they didn't mix for obvious reasons. And this is a theme through, throughout America. So George Lyle, he becomes a Christian um, about 1773, so we're thinking like Revolutionary War. So at this time, there's a whole thing in America about so, so with, when George Whitfield was preaching, he would preach to everybody because the light mo- or the, the Great Awakening was about individuals, slaves, free, white, black, didn't matter. So now you have for the first time slaves becoming Christians. Well, what do they do? What do Christians do? They go to church. So where do you go to church? To the church in town, which was predominantly white, and as a slave and as a black person in America in the 1700s. You were not treated the same as the white people. So the first, so think of it, there's a trajectory of black Christians and white Christians, and they're not always the same. And you really can't understand Baptist history if you don't understand there's two, there's two sets of histories moving alongside of each other, sometimes mixing, but for the most part, developing separately. And this is true of all the denominations. So the first black denomination was 1785, a guy named Richard Allen. So he was born in 1760, so a year before William Carey. So it's all at the same time. He's born a slave, uh, but then he gets saved and becomes a Christian. He's a gifted preacher, so gifted that his master also becomes converted. And once converted, realizes that his slave is a Christian and a better Christian than him. So he actually frees him to preach. So 1785, for a personal connection, he started 
what is now Bethel AME Church in Baltimore. 1785, he, he went there, he preached. Uh, so about, this is the right after the end of the Revolutionary War. 1787, he goes to Philadelphia. So at this time, the guy we're talking about, George Lyle, is about 20-ish, 25. He goes to St. George's Methodist Church, because he's an ordained minister. So Richard Allen, ordained minister in the Methodist Church. He goes to St. George's Methodist Church, which is predominantly white. And he starts attending, and he starts drawing. And so a lot of slaves and freedmen were attending as well. So many that they started pushing. There was no room for them, so they made them stand up in the back of the auditorium. It's pretty common back then, unfortunately. But then there's too many, so they made them sit upstairs. So they come to church. This guy's a prominent preacher who's starting churches, but he's black. So they tell him all the black people have to sit in the balcony. And this is just the way the world works, unfortunately. It's white-centered at this time. So they go up to the balcony, and they sit in the seats that would be over where they sat before. So if they had to sit in the back of the church, they go up to the balcony, and they sit over the top of the same seats. And so it's a Methodist church with so a lot more formal. So they go up there, and they kneel, they, they kneel in prayer. If you've ever been to like a traditional Lutheran church, you kneel for the prayers. So they're kneeling, and Richard Allen tells the story. He hears a commotion behind him. He turns around, and one of the white deacons, or, or ushers, has grabbed one of his fellow pastors, black pastors, and is like pulling him up off his knees. And he's like, well, what, what do you want? And he's like, you can't sit here. You have to sit in the back of the balcony. And so the, the this guy, uh, Absalom Smith, uh, Smith, says, wait till the prayer's over. Wait till the prayer's over. You know, in the middle of a prayer, we're kneeling, we're praying. Wait till the prayer's over, and then we'll move. And the trustee says, no, if you don't move right now, we're going to force you. And he said, just wait till the prayer's over, and then we'll move. It wasn't good enough. They call in more ushers, and they start hauling up these black Christians who are praying so they can move into the back of the, or back of the balcony. So when the prayer was open, Richard Allen says, fine. If we're such a burden, we'll never burden this church again. And the entire group of black Christians walk out the doors and never came back. So when you when people ask where black why there two why is there black churches? Well, this is the beginning of that. They go down the street and start the Free African Society, which later becomes in 1794, so about six years later, they found Bethel African Methodist Episcopal, which is called Mother Bethel in Philadelphia. So if you ever hear Mother Bethel, it's the first African Methodist Episcopal. So AME. Seventeen ninety four. So that's the first sort of denominational black church. Eighteen sixteen, they join with churches in Baltimore, Philadelphia, that region, and form the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, which continues. You see AME. AME. So that's the beginning of the black denominations. Okay. So at the same time, George Lyle's in the South. So this is Philadelphia. We go down to the South. 1775, he's ordained to preach. First ordained African-American Baptist in America. So before George Lyle in 1775, there were no black preachers. There's no ordained black preachers, Baptist. So he's the first Baptist. So Richard Allen was Methodist. Mm -hmm. George Lyle was Baptist. So 1775, which is right at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. So like put in the context, like they're about to go to war. He becomes a preacher. His deacon, the, the Baptist deacon who owned him, when the war started, sided with the British. So, and we'll talk about that in the next future episode of Baptists and the Revolutionary War. 
So this Baptist deacon sides with the British and frees George Lyle to preach the gospel. So George Lyle does that. And he goes to Savannah and forms First African Baptist Church, which is almost the first Baptist, black Baptist church in America. The first one was in 1773 by a friend of George Lyle. And they merged later in 1778. So if you go to Georgia now, Savannah, you can go to First African Baptist Church. It's still there. still operating. And that's the oldest black church in America. And so George Lyle was the pastor of that church. Uh, so, but right, this is the Civil War is going on. I mean, the Revolutionary War is going on. Right. Yeah, and so even if it's – so talk about 1775. So a lot of people associate 1776 with the American Civil War. But also things like Boston Tea Party and Boston Massacre are yeah. before 1775. So yeah. it's the Revolutionary War period, while it's officially declared in 1776, this right. is, it's not like it's on the horizon. It's happening. It's happening. There's people being killed. Yeah. Also at this time, in 1775, Governor Dunmore – Who's the governor of the of the British governor declares that any s- slave who sides with the British will be given their freedom. So Dunmore's proclamation, as it's called, says if you're a slave and you come to the British side, you're free. So this is 1774-75. He makes a statement. 1778, the British capture Savannah, Georgia. So George Lyle is pastor of First African Baptist Church in Savannah. The British capture it. Now the the previous church, the first uh, black church ever, was in was in North was in South Carolina. They left South Carolina because the British captured Savannah and they went to Savannah. So these these Baptists fled South Carolina to freedom. So they captured Savannah in seventy eight. The first bl- black church in America was in South South Carolina. They all left and went to Savannah because British rule was more promising. Because of, yeah, the promise was they'd be free there, and they were, and so they merged with George Lyle. Who's also there. So these Baptists have freedom under British rule, not under American rule. So they capture it, they flee, they merge. Then in 1779, George Lyle's former owner, a guy named Sharp, the Baptist deacon, dies. He's actually on the British side. Sharp's family tries to re-enslave George Lyle. It's classy people. Sounds like it. Yeah, it's like uh, dad sets you free, but we want we want you back. That free labor is going to be really nice in the middle of this war. So George Lyle now has to make a choice: does he go back into slavery, or does he continue to preach the gospel? Because that's what we've been doing: traveling, preaching, starting churches. So he flees to the British side, stays with the British, fleeing these American Baptists who are trying to enslave him. And this is where he becomes a missionary. Seventeen eighty three. The war ends. So the Revolutionary War ends in 73. So now you're in America as a black person. What do you do? If you stay, you got to go back to slavery. So he decides to immigrate to Jamaica. And when he moves to Jamaica, he be, he starts a church. So he's the first missionary. He leaves America, goes to Jamaica, and immediately starts a Baptist church. And that was his job. His, his life goal was to start Baptist churches so the first American missionary and the first Baptist missionary and the first modern missionary was George Lyle, who leaves America in 1783, goes to Jamaica, starts a church. So this is 10 years before Carey went to India. And it's 30 years before Judson goes to India. So in America, he's 30 years prior to the other first missionary. He's the first one. And 10 years before anybody in the whole world. 
uh, obviously in the modern era. So he goes to Jamaica and he builds a Baptist church there. And there were probably no Baptists before he got there. There were certainly no Baptist churches. But by 1814, so what's 1883 to 1814? 1783 to 1814. 1783 to 1814. Do the math in your head. 31 years. 31 years later. Did it in my head completely. Good job. As my teacher told me, you'll never, you got to learn this stuff because you're not going to be able to walk around with a calculator in your pocket. False. (laughs) (laughs) So by 1814, he had 8,000 members or 8,000 Baptist converts. So that's pretty good work. Yeah. Like 8,000 people claim to be Baptist from his work. So he becomes a Baptist missionary to Jamaica, plants churches, 8,000 members. Later, it swells to 20, 30, 40,000. He gets help from a guy named John Ryland, who also helped William Carey in England. So there's a Baptist connection between William Carey, John Ryland, and then George Lyle. Now, this gets really interesting after this because – so he, he lives there from – 1783 until he dies in 1825. His title was the Negro Slavery's Prophet of Deliverance. So Jamaica's all slaved. Sugarcane, you had to buy your freedom. So I think there was like 300,000 slaves at that time. And it was brutal work conditions. It was worse in America. So he's there. He's a free. Uh, he's, a, he's not a slave there, but he's ministering to slaves. Works for free. And sowing the seeds of liberty not politically but through spreading baptist churches so he dies in 1825 now you have thousands of baptists so it's a bigger america bigger world history jamaica is controlled by england so we've heard of william wilberforce he's working at this time to abolish slavery word gets to jamaica in the 1820s that uh the king has abolished slavery which was not true, but it's sort of sowed the seeds and they're getting excited. Uh, by 1830s, 18, late 1820s, 1830s, Jamaican slave owners were brutal. 1831, a Baptist pastor, a Baptist preacher by the name of Sam Sharp, who obviously was influenced by George Lyle. So this is five years after Lyle dies. So this Sam Sharp was a black Baptist preacher who traveled around Jamaica for, for years, starting churches, preaching to people. Well, William Wilberforce is in England, and there's an anti-slavery movement's big. He decides to resist, and it's called the Baptist War. 1831, the Baptist War, also called the Christmas War because it happened right after Christmas. So Sam Sharp, who's a Baptist in Jamaica— Five years after George Lyle dies, who brought Baptist faith and, and spread it in Jamaica, he gets the people together. He gets about 10,000 slaves together and says, we're going to strike. So on, I guess, December 27th, he said, no one works. And a, so it's 300,000 slaves. By the end of it, it was a two-week deal. It was about 60,000. So on that day, they struck thousands of them. And it was meant to be a nonviolent protest, which is actually interesting considering he was a black Baptist preacher and enacting nonviolent protest. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. So when you think Martin Luther King Jr., who was a black Baptist preacher, he didn't just come up with this stuff. He was raised in a black church in the South, which was influenced by George Lyle and this trajectory. 
So Sam Sharp did not start the war. He started a strike, a sit down. But in Jamaica, when slaves did not do what they were told, Jamaican owners responded very brutally. And so it sparked a war, which is not much of war. And, and so some people say they, they rebelled. Only 14 white people were killed and about 5,000 slaves were killed in the battles and afterwards when they were hunting them down and killing them. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a war. It was a resi- it was a nonviolent resistance that turned ugly. And so Sam Sharp, who was a Baptist preacher, led that. It's called the Baptist War. And it was partly because there were so many Baptists involved in it, which comes from George Lyle being so effective. And the reaction of the white slave owners to this war was so brutal. I mean, they were, they were killing people by the dozens. They would hunt them down. They, they would, any child, like stole a pig, got killed. It was so brutal that word got back to England. And the king sort of puts it on the table about slavery, whether they're going to emancipate him or not. So in 1833, two years after this Baptist uprising, because and two years is not that long when you have to travel by boat, they said, look how bad things are in Jamaica. We've got to make a decision. And so Wilberforce is working at this. And so in 1833, they began the end of slavery as a direct result of the brutality in Jamaica, which was a direct result of Baptist involvement, which was a direct result of George Lyle being there. And by 1838, Britain had, had abolished slavery everywhere. So George Lyle represents a trajectory of Baptist history that was, was a pioneer in evangelism 30 years ahead of time, was devoted to freedom. The George Lyle trajectory of Baptist history produced freedom in the British Empire. Like the, the entire freedom in the British Empire can be tied to George Lyle, though obviously there was more factors than just him. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any podcast app of your choice. Please rate, review, and comment. Yeah, give your uh, honest five-star reviews. Yeah, no, we would like to hear from our listeners for future topics and responses to the podcast you've already listened to.